didn't really care about New Year's and that was man-made, something we come up with. And then I found him talking to me at the turn of every year with a fresh word and fresh vision. I started realizing he really does work in times and days and months and seasons. And the book of Genesis actually says that. It says that God put lights, the stars in the sky, four times and for years and for months and days and for seasons. And so I've learned to work with God in revolutions. He's a God of new beginnings. He gave us the calendar year so that we could have a brand new start every year. And so I like to find out what it is that God is wanting to do and wanting to say every year. And I'm going to be sharing with you what I feel like he's given to the leadership on January 15th. But today, I just want to talk to you about new beginnings, starting fresh. I know runners do that on starting blocks. Some people would say, and it's, it's a truism, that it's not important how you begin, but how you finish. But I want to say, a lot of times, the way you begin determines how you finish. You know, I have this games uh, that I play with my kids sometimes. It says board and, you know, you got these little alleyways and you got balls up atop, right? And you drop the ball down the alleyway and you try to get it to go into the right slot. And so where you begin the ball is critical to where the ball is going to end up. You can talk to uh, runners that are long distance runners or sprinters. The starting block is critical. I mean, they train so hard on getting out of the starting block. Just right. On a football team, you watch the NFL. The reason the defense get called offsides because they're trying to get a jump on the offense because the way they begin will determine on whether they can knock the snot out of the, I mean, they can, yeah, they can um, touch the quarterback without getting a penalty flag. Uh, or um, a horse coming out of a gate. The way you begin many times determines how you end. And uh, so when I was talking to Jesus about today in this particular message, I said, what do you have to say to me? What do you have to say to the body, the Gathering Place Church? And I feel like he immediately spoke back to my heart and said, tell them to begin with me. It's so easy not to begin with him because we start thinking about what goals do I want to set? What do I want different in the new year? And we kind of end up being like that guy who prospered. And then he said, what should I do? And he said to himself, what should I do? And he said, I know what I will do. He didn't even stop to say, God, what would you have me do with this extra prosperity? He said, I know what I will do. I will build bigger barns for myself. And then Jesus says, you fool, your soul is required of you tonight. And now whose will those things be? And so you see, we have our lives, we have our resources, we have the faculties God's given to us, and then we start to decide what we are going to do with our destiny rather than stop it and saying, wait a minute, maybe we should begin with the man who calls himself the beginning (laughs) and the end. Let's take a look at this in the book of Revelation chapter 1, right in the beginning of the last book of the Bible we'll find John worshiping on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, the first day of the week. The Apostle Paul says, gather together the first day of the week and worship. And this is John, the beloved disciple, the one who leaned on Jesus' chest during the Last Supper. He even writes that Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, talking about himself. I mean, this is John, the one who was so intimate with Jesus, who's now on the island of Patmos uh, in... um, 
isolation because of his, he just wouldn't shut up about Jesus. And so Jesus appears to him. And this is what John writes regarding this. In verse 1, chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. You catch that? He's showing him events that must soon take place. Do you know that the uh, future-telling industry, tarot cards and hand-reading and calling in to have your future told, is a multi-billion dollar industry. Human beings want to know what the future holds. We want to know what our future holds for our investments. We want to know what our future holds for our health. We want to know what's coming. We pay a lot of money for experts to tell us what they think is coming. And yet we are in relationship with the God that knows what is coming. So it would be really smart to start out the first day of the first year or the new year with him who already knows what's coming. And that's what we see right here in the first, in the first verse of the book of Revelation is Jesus showing John things that are to come. He knows. Let's continue to read. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. So I'm blessed now. That's the reason I chose this, this text of scripture today because I want to start out blessed this year. So now I'm blessed. Let's see how you can get blessed. And he blesses all who listen to its message. Not done yet. And obey what it says. See, I don't have to do that. All I have to do is read it. You have to listen and obey. Then we'll all be blessed. For the time is near. Verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. We need now to recognize this letter is to us, the Gathering Place Church in San Diego, California, and larger to the Church of San Diego. Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was, and who is still to come. That covers the bases, doesn't it? Past, present, future. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. That doesn't mean there's seven spirits. If you read in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, you'll see there's seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. It's good to begin with the beginning and the end himself. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him. Bummer. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes. Amen. I am the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. I am, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. You know, 
When you need a virus removed from your computer, I had to do this recently, and you call somebody, you look in the, you get online, and I'm like, I need somebody who can get this nasty thing out of my computer. And I call someone, and he, do you think you can get this? Well, you know, I've had some success in the past. He, he kind of like was waffling on the telephone. I'm thinking, I don't want to pay you $125 for maybes. So then I called somebody else, and I called somebody else. I finally got someone who said, oh, I've done this for 25 years. I know exactly what that is. I can take care of that for you. Are you sure? Yes, I can. Okay, you sound pretty confident. Well, I've done this a long time, and uh, I know I can do it. So I gave my computer to him, and he knocked it out and gave it right back to me. You see, you look for somebody that is competent to take care of things that are important to you. When you need your car worked on, you shop around for a mechanic that you believe is competent, but also that you can... How did you know what I was going to say? That you can trust. Somebody managing your money. You want to vet somebody... You, you want to ask people, who do you use and what have their returns been? What is their track record? I need to know I'm handing what is so precious to me, which is my retirement, into somebody else's hands who says that they can give me a return and not lose my money. Handing your kids off to someone else to take care of them while you go out on your hot date. You want to make sure... Well, that's what we have. I don't know what you got going, but when we... When we put our, our kids into somebody else's hands, we want to know that they are in good hands. When you go in for an operation, man, you want to research who's going to be cutting you open. And you're, you, man, you feel so vulnerable on that operating table. How many of you have ever been through an operation and that big light shining down on you? You got the mask on, they're looking over you and they put that mask on you. I mean, it's scary, isn't it? You, you feel like I'm, I'm going away for a little while and I am completely at the mercy of their expertise. You know, Hope gave me a gift for a new year or for my for Christmas, and that is a skydiving certificate, because she knows I've always wanted to do that. But here's here's the reality. I've never skydived before, and what they do is if you're a first time jumper at ten thousand feet, this is gonna be a little awkward. They strap you to another person. So I'll be strapped to another guy and uh which is going to be a little more awkward than jumping out of a plane at 10,000 feet, I think, for me. And so they want to make sure that if you're jumping out of an airplane at 10,000 feet for your first time, you want to be strapped to somebody who knows how to do it. They're not going to freak out and freeze up in the middle of the air and not be able to pull the ripcord or know where the second one is if the first one doesn't work, right? You go with an expert. If you're going to jump out of an airplane, you're going to make sure you're doing it with somebody that knows what they're doing. And yet so many of us are ready to jump into 2012. We've never lived it before. Nobody has, and yet we think we know. Yet Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen in 2012. So why wouldn't we go to Him with our life and say, Hey, God, you who call yourself, who always was, who is, and who is still to come, the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I know your past. I know your present better than you do. And I know the future because I am there already. So that's why I'm calling this message today. Let's begin with the beginning and the end because he already knows. You know, my dad tells me about a time he was in the military and he, uh, he was stationed up at Camp Pendleton. And he 
was on leave and you know you have to get back at the time they say to get back, right, Juan? Or it's just not good. No, it's not good. It's called AWOL. So he and a friend take off and they go to a, a, a place a few states away. On their way back, my dad was driving and driving and driving and driving. He was exhausted. So they pulled off in a gas station. He said, why don't you take over? So my dad falls asleep and they've got to get back, man. They're on a timeline. After a number of hours, my dad wakes up and he starts looking at the road signs and they are not looking right. And he asks his partner, uh, where are we going? Where are you headed? And then he realized that his friend had driven them 200 miles in the wrong direction. You see, many times the way you start will determine how you end up. Now, my question to you is, do you want to start heading in the wrong direction on the first day of this brand new year? We better start with Jesus. Now, God not only knows the beginning and the end of the world, which is really what the book of Revelations is about. It's a pretty, uh, you know, it's a global view. But he also knows the beginning and end of your life. And he's in love with you. He cares about you. He cares about every ounce of your being, every molecule in your body, every cell in your being. He cares about. He cares about your money. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your children. He cares about your destiny, about your calling. He cares about your soul. The Bible says Jesus is easily touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. I don't know if you know this, but when you cry, he cries. When you laugh, he laughs. I remember Mark asking the Lord one day, when do you laugh? When do you have fun? And the Lord spoke back to him, when do you play? And Jesus spoke back to him and says, when you do. Because I'm in you. I'm with you. We get so religious and we think we're supposed to be working for the Lord all the time. And yet Jesus wants to live life with us. He feels our sorrow. He feels our joy. He feels our emotions. He wants to be with us, partner with us, walk with us. He cares about every part of our being. I want to show you this uh, passage in the book of Isaiah. Um, the Israel, God's people at that time were complaining about God's care. That you don't care about us and you're not caring for us because we are in bondage. We're in this trial. We're in this negative situation. And God responds to the prophet Isaiah and says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I can't read this whole chapter to you, but you read the whole chapter, you realize what he's saying is, Remember, think, just think back about how I have taken care of you from day one. And you and I can do the same. When you're in the midst of a situation and you think, Where's God? God will say, Just remember, think back over all the ways that I've met you at your time of need since you've been born. We can all do that. God told us to do that as a church last, uh, last quarter of this year. He said, remember, remember. And we produced a PowerPoint of all the things God's done over the last few years in our church, all the healings, all the salvations, all the deliverances, all the financial breakthroughs. How many of you have seen that PowerPoint that we've shown here at the church? It is so powerful. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness. And, and Israel's complaining that, God, you don't care about us. And he says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. God knows the end from the beginning. 
Why would we consult him? I mean, as a parent, isn't it amazing how much your 13-year-old knows? It's just, it's, just, it's just dumbfounding how much they know and how much you don't. You've already been through high school, so you know what their senior year is going to look like if they don't do their freshman year, their sophomore year, their junior year accurately, right? You know the ending from the beginning because you have been there, right? So you do everything you can to try to communicate to them, I know what the end's going to look like if you go down that track. What do you mean you forgot to turn in your homework assignment? You did the homework assignment, but you forgot to turn it in? That ain't going to fly in college. How many of you have ever said that? Come on, raise your hands. I know. Yeah, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then they have all their excuses as though they know. And it's everybody else's fault. And you're like, listen, you don't know how this is going to end up. It's not going to be good for you. We want you to get a scholarship so we don't have to pay your tuition. Really is what you're saying. We know you have the capability, but you're not doing the right thing. Or when they bring him or her home and you're like, oh. I know how this is going to end up. Your heart is going to be broken. Or the way that you're going about this relationship. I know how, because I've been in relationships before, and the choices you're making, or with their money, like with our children from the first time they got their first dollar bill. What we tell them is, uh, you know, well, we'll give them three quarters of the way we did it when they were first uh, getting money. We give them three quarters. One goes to God. One goes to savings, and the third one, the last one, goes to spending. And so we are teaching them how to manage money from the first time they get money in their hands. So when they become an adult, they don't say, oh, I got a tithe. I like what Rick, Rick uh, Warren's daughter said when she uh, learned about tithing. He, she, she had also done the 25, 25, 25. And when she finally learned that God says, give me the first 10%, what she said was, well, why does God only get 10%? Yeah, you thought I was going somewhere else, didn't you? See? Why does God get the least? Because she was trained. Because he wanted her in to turn out where she was a good steward of her finances and worshiping God. And Rick, her dad, is such a great example. Once he wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and he became, you know, a millionaire off of it, he took the 25 years of his salary he had been given as a pastor and gave it back to the church. See, his children are watching a model of, of how, to, how to steward finances and, and walk with God. In this passage, God is trying to say to Israel, I know your end from the very beginning. Just trust me. And they're not trusting him. And what he says in this passage is, you are trusting gods that you have made with your own hands. And think about it. You have to carry them on your own shoulders. And this is what we do. We set our goals, what we want for our life. We set out our goals for the year. Without consulting God, those become our gods that we now have to bring to pass. We put them on our shoulders. This is what I am going to accomplish this year. But what God says to Israel in this passage is, I am your God, I made you, and I will carry you if you allow me. 
Would you rather make gods with your own hands and carry them on your shoulders and you bring your destiny to pass? Or would you like me to be your God and I will put you and I will carry you on my shoulders? You ask me what your destiny is to be and I will help you fulfill it and we will do it together. Jesus says, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Put your yoke, let me put my yoke on you. We will do this together. So beginning the year with God is the smartest thing you and I can do. He says that I've been with you since you were born in this passage. He says, I've been with you since you were born. I will be with you until you're old and gray. He then tells them, this is so incredible. He tells them of his plan for their future. And he tells them that he is going to raise up somebody to deliver them. Because they're in captivity at this time. And he comes to them and they're complaining about their captivity. He comes to them and says, listen, I know the end from the beginning. In fact, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up somebody named Cyrus. He names the guy and yet Cyrus wasn't born yet. And he wasn't going to be born for another hundred years. Just in the previous chapter, we're in Isaiah chapter 46 and Isaiah 45 in verse one, it actually says it. It says that I will raise up my servant Cyrus, C-Y-R-U-S, and he will rebuild Jerusalem. Now, Cyrus was the king of Persia. Babylon had come in and taken Israel captivity and, and brought them to Babylon, and they became their slaves. And Daniel became, you know, the next to the king, you know, the book of Daniel and all that. They're in captivity during that time. They're crying out to God saying, you don't care about us. You've forsaken us. You have forgotten about us. This isn't fair. And God says, I'm going to take care of you. Here's my plan for the future. And so he says, I'm going to raise up a guy named Cyrus, and he is going to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, why would an enemy king rebuild Jerusalem? You don't do that as an enemy king. You keep your enemies suppressed. And yet, 100 years later, Cyrus, the king of Persia, this is in world history, overthrows Babylon, and during his reign... The historian Josephus says that when somebody read to Cyrus, Isaiah chapter 45, that had his name in it. It was dated. Could you imagine sitting down, reading the Bible, and it is dated a hundred years ago, the actual historical writing, you have the date of the actual prophecy, and it says... In 100 years, I will raise up somebody named Mark Cowper Smith and he will rebuild Jerusalem. What do you think you ought to do? (laughs) You might want to do what the book says. And that's exactly what he did. You can read it in the book of Ezra. Chapter 1. It says, Cyrus, reading the prophecies of Isaiah was stirred up by God and said, we need to rebuild Jerusalem. And of course, his cabinet said, that's not smart. Why would we want to rebuild the city of the enemy? And he says, he stirred up Cyrus and he stirred up the people and they began rebuilding Jerusalem. Read the next two verses, please. All right, well, why don't you read the next two verses? Read it out loud.
So God is saying, I've got a great future for you. Names the guy he's going to raise up a hundred years from now. The guy a hundred years from now reads his own name in the Bible and what he's supposed to do. God stirs him up and he restores his people. The same God will talk to you and I personally about our lives, about 2012. Just this week, well, a couple, a month ago. This is just, this is our God. A month ago, my wife, who you know is given to dreams, God's one of her spiritual gifts, God communicates to her through dreams. A month ago, she wakes herself up saying somebody's first and last name. What was the person's name? Okay, you're not going to say it because we shouldn't say that because she hasn't given us permission to give her name out publicly and this is going all over the globe. Yeah. <laughs> Wakes up saying a person's first and last name she's never heard before. So she gets on Facebook to see if she can find us for Google to see if she can... You said Facebook. No, all right. I Googled it. No, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, if you're going to correct me <laughs> as I'm up here telling your testimony, you will stand up and speak. Who wants hope to speak today? So anyway, I woke up saying this name. The last name is the last name I've never heard of before, ever. The first name is a fairly common name, so, which I found unusual. And I thought, have I read that? Where did that? So I Googled it, and the only thing that came up was Facebook profile. Yeah, I said Facebook. <laughs> but, but I Googled it to see, was this in the news? Do I remember this from something else? So anyway, Facebook, and I thought, you know what? What do I have to lose? I don't know this person. She can think I'm weird. Who cares? So I emailed her. And if you know about Facebook, if someone's not your friend, it goes to like a sub-mailbox that you don't actually see. Like I found emails in there from people that were like a month old. So this was a month ago, an email that said, Hi, my name's Hope. I'm from California. I woke up saying your name this morning. (laughs) And sometimes, yeah, yeah. I'm from California. Oh. You know. And sometimes God has communicated things to me through dreams. I hope you don't find this really strange, but, you know, if there's something that you need prayer for, um, let me know, and I'd be glad to pray with you. So a month later, which was yesterday or day before yesterday, she emails me back and says, she's a believer, and uh, said, I've been walking through a real crisis and crying out to God, and I'm desperate, and I really feel like uh, this was God's way of telling me he sees me and he knows me and he he knows where I'm at and what I'm going through to have you wake up speaking my name and contact me and ask, (laughs) you know, and so then she asked me, you know, she said, you know, here's some things I'm going for going through. Can you pray for me? What do you, you have any advice for me? And so for her, it really, it really, really hit her. You know, she really needed to to hear it. How awesome was that? (laughs) Imagine if that's you. You're going through a dark, dark time and you wonder, where is God? Does he care about me? Just like Israel. And God has a stranger across the nation wake up saying your first and last name. He's a personal God. Cares about us intimately and he knows our future. I love the part of that passage that says God makes known the end from the beginning. He didn't just say God knows the end from the beginning. He said he makes it known. Well, isn't that what he was doing with John and the island of Patmos? Let me show you the things to come. 
Then he says, and write them to the churches so that they can do what I say so that they can be blessed. And then he writes a letter. Jesus personally writes a letter to the churches and says, I know the end from the beginning and I will make known to you the end. Let me show you the plan. Now, let me tell you what each one of you need to do so that you can be blessed in the end. And then he leaves it up to the churches to decide whether they're going to follow his plan or not. Isn't that amazing? That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's a letter from the beginning and the end telling us, the church, what the end will look like and how we can get there from here if we do it his way. Well, it's not just for John and Jesus and the churches 2,000 years ago. Let's look at the book of John. And in chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, and he's here, by the way, the Holy Spirit, he lives inside of you if you're a believer, he will, he will, not might, he could, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. How many of you in this church have ever had God reveal to you what was coming and it actually happened the way he revealed it to you? Through a dream, through a vision, through an impression, through a thought. Yeah. He's communicating to us the future, showing us things to come. Now, there's three reasons why he would do this. And I want to jot these down. Number one, he will show you the future, things to come, so that you can avoid it. How many of you ever had a dream of something bad that was going to happen and then it happened? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got a number of hands in here. Sometimes we don't know what to do with dreams when they're given, especially about bad things. Many times God has shown them to you so that you can pray them away. I remember one, we had, I had a dream one night that Ellie and I were going to be hit by a tornado. Hope had a dream the exact same night that Ellie and I were going to be hit by a hurricane. We were in the different states. I called, we called each other and we shared these things. Well, why would God give us two dreams about Ellie and I losing our lives so that we could lose our lives? No, it was obviously going to be a work of the enemy. And so we called the intercessors and prayed and it never happened. Now you could say, well, you know, that could have just been a pizza dream. Well, I don't know. Two independent dreams, one of another, both having the same message. I think we should pray that away. So many times God will give you dreams or vision or prophetic word so that not so that you go, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. It's going to be terrible, but so that you can avoid it. Just like when Jesus was born, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph and Mary and said, um, Herod's going to try to kill your son. Get out of here. So a supernatural communication to Joseph and Mary to get Jesus out of the town into Egypt so he could be safe. And that happened two or three times. So number one, God will communicate the future to us so that we can avoid it. Number two is so that you can prepare for it. Sometimes it is not that you're going to avoid it. Jesus knows you're going to go through some suffering. And I want you to know about it so that you can be smart and prepare for it. The Bible says that the wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it. The book of Proverbs. So you see this in Peter. Jesus says to Peter, right now you're kind of rebellious and impetuous and you do whatever you want. But when you're older, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And they're going to do to you what you don't want them to do. And he got crucified upside down. 
uh, when uh, the, when the, the angel appears to Ananias in the book of Acts and says, Paul, who was Saul, is my chosen vessel. Bring him into your house and take care of him. And he says, oh, no, he persecuted the church. I can't trust him. And the angel says, or Jesus said, no, I have shown Paul the things he must suffer for my namesake. That's why when Agabus, the prophet in the book of Acts, comes into a house where Paul is and says, let me have your belt. And he takes Paul's belt and he straps himself with it and binds himself and says, this is what will happen to the man who goes to Jerusalem. He will be bound and persecuted in prison. And Paul said, I'm not only ready to be bound for Jesus, I'm ready to die for his sake. For he has shown me the things I must suffer for his namesake. Jesus shows us in the book of, uh, in the gospels about his second coming and about what, how to prepare for the second coming. In the book of Revelations, he tells one of the churches, many of you are going to be thrown into prison for my sake and many of you will die. But if you remain faithful, I will give you the crown of life. So many times he shows you the future so that you can be prepared for it, embrace yourself for it, not be surprised by it. In fact, Peter said, why do some of you say that when the trial comes upon your life, some strange thing has happened to us? He says, for this you were called, suffering for his name, so that his glory and power may rest upon you. So if you and your doctrine don't have any room for suffering and trials, you're going to be really confused when certain trials aren't removed from your life. Jesus is expecting you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with him. That takes more faith than being delivered from it ever touching your life. There are three words for deliverance in the Bible. One is it never touched me. The second one is I got delivered out of the middle of it when it was happening to me. And the third one was I was delivered through it and I come out of the fires like there's no smoke on me as though it never even happened to me. So we have to, in our theology, be able to have room for all three types of deliverances and have faith that can uh, endure all three. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So the third reason he will reveal it to you is so that you can pray it to pass. Do you know in the Bible it says, I'm going to bring this to a close. The Bible says to Elijah, God says, I'm going to bring rain on the earth. And the next thing you see Elijah doing is hitting his face and praying seven times and telling his servant, go look and see if the rain is coming. And he prayed again. And then 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 he prayed again. I think that was seven. You see, he didn't pray and then give up and say, well, I guess it's not God's will. God spoke his will. I'm going to bring rain on the earth. It's been a drought for three and a half years. I'm going to send rain on the earth. The prophet who knows how to partner with God, the the church can bind and loose. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. The prophet knew when God says, I want to do this in the earth, I have a part to play in that. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, but he has chosen not to do anything in the earth unless it's prayed in through a believer. And that's scripturally uh, accurate. In fact, another place in the Bible, God says in the book of Ezekiel, he tells Israel, this is what I'm going to do for you. I am the Lord. I shall do it. The next breath, and I will allow you to ask me to do this for you. Isn't that amazing? When you grab a hold of that, you're going to start praying your brains out. When you really realize that God's will for your life is accomplished through praying it into the earth, your prayer life will soar. We don't bat a thousand percent. And those of you that are perfectionists, that's a real, that's a real bad day for you because if you don't, if you have unanswered prayer, it completely depletes your inspiration. You decide, well, I prayed it, it didn't happen, so why should I pray for that? 
Well, that would be like Babe Ruth saying, well, I struck out last time I was at bat. Why should I get there and try to hit the ball again? Do you know he struck out more than any batter in history? And he also hit more home runs than any batter in history up to before they started using steroids. (laughs) See, he knew that if he didn't get up to the bat and swing at that ball, he would never hit it. And believer, if you don't pray, you're never going to see the will of God come to pass for you in 2012. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Because that is God's way of getting his will to pass into your life. So today I want to launch a new 30 for 30. And a 30 for 30 is something God put in my heart last year. We've done three of them where we all together pray 30 minutes a day for 30 days. And every morning you're going to get an email from me where there's a real short word of encouragement about prayer. And yours, I've already written the one for tomorrow morning. We'll start tomorrow morning. There's 31 days in January. So today uh, I am pitching this to you. Tomorrow morning we begin. And for those of you that want to be a part of this, there'll be an email in your email box uh, from me about prayer. And you'll get one every day for the next 30 days. So on January 31st will be our last day. Let's pray in God's plan for our lives and for this church over the next 30 days together. Amen? And as you're doing this, you're going to hear the voice of God. You're going to be in the Word, and He's going to reveal things to you from His Word. He's going to reignite that spiritual fire in your heart that has gone, that has gone dim. He's going to give you clarity again. But let's begin this new year with the beginning and the end Himself. So... Here's how we're going to do this. If you have already signed up for a past 30 for 30, we've already got you in the hopper. And we're just, instead of making you re-sign up, which is obnoxious for you and for the administrative team, we're just going to assume that you want to be a part of this. If you don't, when you get the first nice email from your pastor about encouraging you to pray, send back a nasty reply saying, please take me off this list. I don't ever want to pray with you again, okay? That's your prerogative. Or if you would like to be a real Christian and do what Jesus said and pray, then just let the email come, read it, pray, and you'll be in the will of God. Amen? Amen. All right. If you've never signed up for 30 for 30, right now is your opportunity. Uh, There's a visitor card in your bulletin, and if you will put your name down on it, write your email in clear, clear English so that we can make sure that 30 for 30 gets to you, and write down 30 for 30, we will put you on the 30 for 30. If you're a visitor here today, we're so glad you joined us at the Gathering Place Church. Thanks for coming today. Uh, If you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, You can fill out that uh, guest card. And even if this isn't going to be your church home, even if you're visiting, join us for the 30 for 30 and you'll be getting the emails and start your new year praying 30 minutes a day for the next 30 days and watch God revolutionize 2012 in your life. Amen. So go ahead and fill out that card, put down 30 for 30, put down your name, your email. And then I'm going to have uh, ushers, if, you'll, uh, if I can have an uh, usher at the back. And on your way out, uh, you can drop your 30 for 30 um, guest card in that basket. Also, remember to sign up for the Volunteer Appreciation Breakfast. Also, not only if you have volunteered, but if you want to add your gifts to this team. You want to join the volunteer serving team at the Gathering Place Church. Sign up for the Volunteer Breakfast. Come. And be a part of that team, and you can uh, sign up. While you're at the volunteer breakfast, 
saying, I would like to serve at the Gathering Place Church and help build a great church for Jesus in 2012. We'll find out what your spiritual gifts are and get you plugged in. Amen?